0: Hello, and welcome to the rainbows and rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica, and I'm an ECSE teacher in Minnesota. r and is about connecting through stories and reflecting on practices on visits. Listen as I share how I try and put best practice and research to work in real life and on real visits. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. And welcome again to what is episode 20 of the Rainbows and Rain podcast. Thank you for listening. As long as people are listening, I will continue to do the podcast. So thank you. And I want to start off this episode with just a little bit different of a topic. Someone, you know, gave me a compliment last week which is really hard for me to do. Compliments are hard for me to take, So, um, but I also reflected on it quite a bit too. So the person called me passionate and growing and really kind of admired that as I um, obviously am so involved in current practice and best practice and putting families first. I think passion comes from experience And without experience, you know, there you can't be passionate about something you you haven't been exposed to or something that just hasn't hit you personally on a personal level. Uh, Or I mean, or in your work life, too, I suppose you could be passionate about something in your work life that's not in your personal life. So but um, definitely experience drives passion, I guess, is my point with that. I have been working in early intervention since 2010. Um, I became a parent in 2013. And as many of you know, who are parents uh, and early interventionists, this it gives you another lens to look at. Definitely, if you're not a parent, you can definitely still do your job really, really well. Um, but you you don't have that lens necessarily to kind of see things through. So every experience gives you another lens. It gives you a way to connect with people. That doesn't mean you can't empathize with parents on Visits or the families you work with, if you're not a parent, that's not what I'm saying at all. It just gives you another lens. Now, having a child with a disability is also another lens to this. Um, So, I became a parent in 2013 and became a parent to twins, so a boy and a girl. Uh, Things were, I delivered full term. Uh, things were a little rocky with my daughter in the very beginning. Um, however, we didn't have early intervention services or anything like that. Um, but my son, on the other hand, I referred him at about 23 months. So as a parent and as a teacher, I was tracking his milestones and was trying to look at him through both lenses as a teacher and as a parent, which got tricky um, the older he got. However, I knew communication um, was something he was struggling with and specifically expressive communication. Uh, He wasn't babbling in chains. Um, His sounds were very distorted. He had about 10 words at 18 months. And then by the time he was 24 months, he had between 30 and 40 words. Um, But many of them were distorted. And more like word approximations, I don't recall any maybe true words, unless you want to, you know, ma, you know, was mom. But anyways, um, many word approximations, but again, lots of distortions and things like that. So I referred him at 23 months. And I just want to share my experience with the early intervention process and how that looked for myself and my son. And we live not in the district I work in. When I got the call to schedule evaluation for him, I did share with the ECSE teacher that I was also an ECSE teacher working in another district. I felt awkward withholding that information from her, but at the same time, I really wanted to go through this process as a parent and not a teacher. Um, sadly, the evaluation process was not very family-focused or even parent-focused. I heard phrases like, well, you know how hard it is to qualify for speech. Because that was my main concern was the speech. Which was so interesting to me because I knew they were going to do a reel. And I was going to make sure he had a qualifying score on the reel after she said that, which was kind of funny. But it just, it wasn't very family focused. I look back in hindsight And there were many things missed because my concerns just weren't listened to. His motor score was very low, which didn't reflect his motor abilities, but it definitely spoke to his motor planning, which is something I wasn't really seeing through the mom lens. And and it wasn't something I picked up on until much later. So that is just a short kind of brief nutshell of how we went through the evaluation process. Fast forward, he qualified DD communication only at 23, 24 months. And so now we're in service. Services for me, what I wanted from services was for me to be treated like a mom and not as a teacher. I was a mom looking for help with my son. Um, sitting in the middle of a storm brewing so big that I couldn't see which way to go or what to do. I just wanted help. I wanted guidance. I wanted to feel confident as a mom that I knew what to do to help my son. I brought up concerns like, why can't he bite off pieces when he eats? You know, bite off pieces of like a stick shape food, which again, like, Looking through it as a teacher, I should have picked up on oral motor. I should have picked up on OT needs, but I just, I just didn't. They were just things that I was like, why is he doing that? Um, because I was seeing it as a mom. Uh, other things that were missed, things like, you know, why does he shake when he uses his utensils when he's trying to like bring food to his mouth? Again, that motor planning was really missed um, because I feel like people weren't looking um, or listening to things that I was trying to say, Sam was receiving early intervention services from, of course, the ECSE teacher and the speech therapist. Uh, the speech therapist was the primary person coming out, and um, she she was very skilled in. I'm sure her knowledge of everything, speeches, no. (laughs) Um, That's as specific as I can get, not being a SLP. But anyways, um, services and visits were very much, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give her a fake name. Um, And her name is going to be, um, we'll call her Mary. So Mary's focus on visits was Sam and speech production. Um, That's, you know, that's just what they were. And again, that was a big concern I had of mine. But again, I wanted to feel like I had skills that I could help him too. So Mary, she, she was very friendly. And she'd go out to my daycare provider, which was a home daycare um lovely older german woman who had a full um daycare in her basement um very beautiful and mary went to daycare and mary came to my house and mary brought her bag and mary worked with sam and mary left and that is kind of the summary of our visits um there were several times i brought up concerns to her and and she would answer my questions, but very shortly, um, I would ask her about ideas I had. Um, she would sometimes give me feedback, um, but she she was focused on her bag, and she was focused on Sam. And while as a parent, I would sit, and I would watch, and I would see him interact with her, and... Um, What and what mom doesn't want to see their child perform. I think I've talked about this just a little bit on previous episodes, um, just a little bit. Um, but he, he would, and he'd said, and he'd practice his sounds with her. I'm telling you, as a parent, to be quite honest and very direct. I did not care about the sounds he was saying for her. There were things going on in our routines that I wanted, excuse me, that I wanted help figuring out so he could communicate more clearly so all of us could understand what he was trying to say. So as you can imagine, oral motor was huge for Sam and still is for Sam um, in articulation and Again, that's about as far as I can go without, you know, not being an SLP. So, again, is it horrible that he sat there and performed for her? No. Was it helping me? Was it teaching me? Was it empowering me? Was it giving me skills I needed for when Mary wasn't there? No, absolutely not. So, while Sam did make progress that Um, year he was in early intervention. Naturally, he did from many sources of people that were involved in Sam's life, his daycare provider, myself, um, his family, his twin sister, um, everyone. But I don't know if I can credit Mary with any of that. Mary brought a bag of five to six items that were uh, one day we had like four of the exact same things at home. Again, you're walking into a teacher's house. A teacher's house is going to have lots of educational things, playthings, you know, things like that. Um, but she never asked, like, how Sam engaged with things, how I engaged with him, how I managed his twin sister who was talking far beyond the typical, um, 2 year old at the time using 5 to 7 word phrases already. Um at one visit she actually asked me to keep Annika away from quote the session. Um it was really disheartening as a parent too because that was my life. I had two 2 year olds, one that talked way too much and needed attention and the other one that talked but needed a lot of time to process and a lot of time to practice what he was saying. So it was really tricky for me as a mom to try and navigate it and try to figure it out. The same thing would happen when she went out to daycare to see Sam, um, beautiful German woman named Gertie. Um, but she didn't, you know, partner with Gertie to try and figure out like what her struggles were at daycare with regards to his communication needs. Um, she really just kind of wanted to take Sam aside. She had a very small group um, in her basement daycare. Um, but again, it was very just Mary and Sam focused. Uh, so I think that experience really fueled my passion to this is not what it should look like. And nothing against Mary, nothing against what she was doing, but she wasn't servicing the family around Sam to help encourage Sam's development beyond her visits with him. So it was Uh, It was hard. And I'm going to tell you, too, it's led to a disaster of a Part B evaluation. Um, Sam initially qualified uh, speech language impaired and walked into preschool a total mess. Uh, It was a disaster from the get go. He there were other needs. There were sensory needs. There of course were motor motor planning needs. There were social emotional needs. Um, some mental health things started to brew, um, during that time too. So, uh, that triggered another evaluation, uh, just, uh, right, I think, uh, right at, I think it was two weeks before he turned three. So, um, because he's a September 20th birthday, he started preschool on September 8th or whatever. And it was a total mess. We had done his part B in the spring. And I called a meeting and I said, nope, uh, we need to go DD and we need to do testing. And sure enough, DD, most areas. And currently Sam is eight years old and in second grade and in a DCD program. So he does, he still has oral motor difficulties. He's, you know, has apraxia and, um, and motor planning issues, significant motor planning issues and, and an intellectual impairment as well. So something through the course of between two and three, uh, you know, just different things started to pop up and, uh, his developmental track started to go sideways a little bit. So that I think fuels my passion right there, right? Um, My experience. And while I'm not the only parent who Is a teacher, is an ECSE teacher working in early intervention that has had services for their child? I definitely am not. There's many of us out there. And while we each have our own experience, that was mine. And when you're only offered one style of visit, when you're when you're forced to conform to what the service provider wants to do on that visit, um, it's really frustrating as a parent. And while some parents might sit there and seem to enjoy it or, you know, um, it's, they don't, they might not also know any different and every adult's learning style is different. Um, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know. And I wanted to do it. I wanted to do the work. And how that works on visits can be done a number of different ways, but definitely not Mary's way. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, am I a Mary? You know, I, <laughs> I hope not. But and I don't think Mary knew what she was doing was wrong. I really don't. And our visits were always very pleasant um there was no hard feelings or anything like that I was just seeking something I wasn't getting from those visits so I hope that story my story um fuels your practice fuels your um, how you approach families how you you know might, get a glimpse on uh, to what some of them are thinking. Uh, ask, please ask, is there something you want to know? Is there something I'm not doing that you wish I was doing? Um, because I wished, I wished that approach would have been taken with me. And I think that's the experience that completely turned me off to the toy bag and refused to ever bring one out again. So again, nothing against people who are trying to evolve in their practice. Um, We've all been on that path, or whether you're fading that toy bag out, whether you're still reliant on it, but want to give it up, or are like me and you're totally have broken free from that thing. Um, I respect everyone who's on their journey with that. But um, I just wanted to share my story. And that's where that um, passion comes from. As I sit here and tell that story and kind of reflect back on that year, Sam was in early intervention. I wish I had been more direct with Mary and maybe, you know, sat down with her and said to her, hey, can we can we think about or relook at how these visits look or um, something like that. So uh, something I wished I would have done, it definitely is something I currently do. I do ask questions. I do ask for meetings when I don't agree with something. I do want to be involved in things like goal writing and things like that. So Um, It's definitely, again, that experience has led me to be a better advocate for him, for sure. So had I not had that experience, you know, maybe I'd still be struggling with that part of raising Sam. Okay, so moving on from that story, what can we get from that story? There are always at least two learners on every single visit and that is the child and the caregiver. I would also argue that there's maybe three the service provider. You you are the expert in what you do, absolutely 100%. However, the caregiver is 100% an expert in their own life. So you need to learn what their life is like and how they learned and who they are so you can help them too. So again, there's always at least two learners on every visit. Okay, number two, service the family. Annika, his twin sister, was just a part of those visits as Sam was and as I was. She was definitely someone who could have been incorporated into the visit just like she is into all of Sam's everyday life routines. So he was born with his own peer. He was, you know, someone he can go back and forth with someone he can take turns with someone who he can, um, learn from modeling from. So it's, it's, That part of it too. Each family is unique, and each parent or caregiver brings their own strengths to the table. Uh, I'm working with a couple of different families right now where I'm just amazed at where their strengths are coming from. Um, I had a dad ask me a question, and I just looked at him and I just said, what do you do for a living? Because that's a very, it was a very systematic, discrete trial type of question he was asking, and he said, "Oh, I'm a software engineer," or I had another parent, um, and I didn't know she was a teacher until she used the word antecedents, and I didn't know she was a teacher for, uh a few different reasons. I kind of took over someone who was leaving. So I was kind of jumping in the middle of things. And just all of a sudden on one visit, she used the word antecedent. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like That is not a normal word. So and again, she was an elementary school teacher. She was just uh, staying home and raising kids at the moment. So the parents and caregivers you work with, they bring their own experience, their own knowledge and expertise to the table. Show them how to use that. Use that to your advantage. Um, And the same goes the other way. Those were some very um, professional parent examples I've given you. However, I'm also working with a mom with a very medically um, involved child, and she's just having trouble keeping track of like, which doctor she's going to, why she's going to them and who referred them. Um, so it's very interesting to me to kind of sit and listen to a mom who just came from a doctor's appointment, but can't tell me what kind of doctor they were um, or who, who referred her. So it's so it's that, you know, um, that spectrum of of parents that you interact with on a daily basis, which makes it really hard, but also makes it really, really fun. Okay, so the third and last thing I'm going to say about that story um, and what you can take from it. Coaching and visits can look different for everyone. Um, I had a coworker share with me a story last week where she was describing her visit. And for whatever reason, she felt like it was wrong. Like it wasn't right. It wasn't what coaching is. And it's because this mom Um, required a lot of modeling. And through the course of modeling on visit after visit, mom started to take out her phone and record video of my coworker interacting with the child so she could watch it later and practice those skills too. However, my coworker felt like it was wrong because I think she was so more hands-on with the child than the caregiver was. But If you're coaching, you're coaching and you're meeting the needs of the parent and you're following the parent's lead. If the parent needs more modeling, you're going to give them that modeling. Not every parent is going to want to be observed. So observation is definitely a part of coaching where you want to observe them. However, that's something you ask and invite it's not something you require. So um, keep that in mind, that coaching and this and that style um, can look different from parent to parent, and it should look different. And 100% you should be okay with that. Um, So I just wanted to share that I had one more thought about that. And I think it was, um, if there's carryover, and parents are practicing in between visits, and you have that joint plan at the beginning, and you review it, and you come up with that joint plan at the end, you're probably coaching, you're probably on the right track. But um, I just wanted to say that and put that out there too, that on my visit with Sam, what I was seeking was, hey, I want to do it, show me, let me practice and tell me more. Um, Because that's the kind of Adult learner, I am. Not every parent is going to be like that. So keep that in mind, too. So, like I said at the very beginning, everyone um, comes to the table with their own experiences, their own lenses. And while we might not know what it's like to have a child with Down syndrome or a child with autism, Versus a typically developing child or any child at all. Maybe you're not a parent. You don't need to have those lenses in order to listen and to um, empathize with the parent you're working with. I went to a training several years ago over the summer um, at the early intervention uh, summer Institute we have here in Minnesota every year in June. And it was a panel of two moms, two moms and their two sons, adult sons, one with Down syndrome and, uh, one who had autism. And it was the most powerful, I think, training I could have ever sat through. This wasn't even a training. It was just a, a keynote. Um, and you can find it, uh, on YouTube. I'll try and link it on the Instagram account, uh, the video, it's about, I don't know, it's kind of long. It's like 45 minutes. I wonder if I can link it. I'll try and figure that out. But anyways, listening to parent stories, I think can be really powerful. If you listen to the EI on the fly podcast, uh, one of the hosts on there, she also has a child uh, daughter with a disability who went through the early intervention process. So she will sometimes speak to that experience as well. And it's really insightful and helpful. Um, Anyways, thank you for listening to another episode of rainbows and rain. This is actually the 20th episode, we made it to 20. So kind of made this a bonus episode with with the uh, length and the story I shared today. But if you have any thoughts on this episode or feedback for the podcast, please check us out on Instagram at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the podcast. I hope you join me again for another episode of rainbows and rain.